Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful perspective on the scriptures that we hope will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. I'm Zach, and here with my wife, Krista Horton, and we are excited to bring you episode 31, Romans 1 through 6. Excited to dive into the Pauline epistles and get going. You know, we were just talking about the numbering of our episodes, because if you've noticed in season two, it's a little confusing. So episode 31 is actually episode 31 from season two. We're kind of trying to keep it a little bit in order to fit into the 50 week that Come Follow Me um, manual is outlined in. Um, so And we've had two bonus episodes this season, so it's technically yeah. not episode 31. So we'll work on that. Anyway. I think we're going to go back and number our episodes. It's just FYI, in case you're looking back at some of the past episodes. Episode Romans 1 through 6. There you go. So. As we dive into these Pauline epistles, starting in the books Book of Romans, I just couldn't help but um, have a verse stand out to me, and that is, in Romans chapter 1, verse 11. For I want very much to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that it is to be mutual encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I kind of think that was kind of, had some of the same thoughts. Um, you know, in the beginning of this podcast even, one one of the reasons that we even wanted to start this was we thought, what would it, wouldn't it be cool to have some sort of a group study and a group setting and of course, schedules and are crazy, but this well, seemed like the way to best way to do it for us. Well, we even had neighbors that said the same thing. Oh, it'd be so yeah. much fun to have like a, a Bible study class together. And we've talked a lot about how it would be so much more fun if we were doing this in person. And we've had a couple of, of neat chances um, with some new friends to be able to have these personal study groups. And it's so fun to see people and to be mutually benefited by each other's faith and testimony. And, right. And it was especially enhanced because Zach and I are reading the Power of Habits book right now. And so, of course, everything I read is tied into that. And it was talking about that one of the um, ways to really make a habit become a habit is when we have a group and when we have that group support. That was one of the number one reasons that researchers found um, creates a really solid habit is if you have someone to talk it out or people that are doing this new change of habit with you. And I thought, you know, this this is what the church is about. This is what gathering together is about. We really do need each other. And we're just grateful that we get to be a part of this community that's allowing us to, to make this happen. And so some of um, the questions that you're giving us, it's just so fun. It feels a little more interactive to us. So we want to thank you for that. And we're going to get to those questions today, but also wanted to tell you about something exciting that we're going to be doing. I guess by the time you listen to this, it will be tonight. So this Monday, what day does it Zach? It's going to be August 6th, I think. Fifth. August 5th. We are going to be working with, um, some women at, the Salt Gathering, and that is a retreat that has been going on for a couple of years, um, and they have just started a recently a uh, study group, and we're going to be going on a Facebook Live over on their page, so we're going to link you to that Facebook group if you are interested. It's all about this Coming to Closer Christ challenge that is exactly this, coming together to mutually benefit in our faith and growing closer to Christ through the scriptures, which of course, you know, we believe in. Mm -hmm. So we're going to link that in our show notes. If you're interested in watching that, it will be there on that Facebook group um, tonight. I guess it will be for you if you are listening to this on Monday. So, 
Okay, the questions, we have actually two we wanted to start with, and thank you so much for your response. We asked for questions the last couple of episodes, and that request is still open and will be for a while. If you've got questions about doctrines or scriptures or, I don't know, our our, our favorite Marvel movie, whatever, send us the questions. We'd love to respond to them. Uh, but we got a lot of responses, and we wanted to answer two of them. Um, one is just a question about Paul himself as we get into his writings. Um, and the other one has to do with kind of the topic of this particular episode. Um, so the first question was about Paul. Um, so we got this question from Jen, and she just asked or said, we talk about Paul the Apostle, but I don't know where in the scriptures he is called an apostle. When does he become one of the twelve? Is Lord calling him to the work and the road to Damascus? And is that his call? Which is a great question. Um, I just did a quick search because I didn't know right before this is Paul ever referred to as the Apostle Paul? And there's a couple of places where he, for example, in Romans 1, I think it's in verse 1, or maybe it's in verse 2, where he refers to himself as uh, Paul. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. So he refers to himself as an apostle. Um, and yeah, that calling to be an apostle um, happened at least in part on the road to Damascus. If you look back at the requirements for an apostle in Acts chapter 1 um, or in John chapter 14 are two good places to go to look for what the qualifications are for an apostle. Um, some of them are, uh, in Acts 1 it talks about someone that was a witness of Jesus Christ, someone that has had a special witness of Jesus Christ, which Paul certainly has on Damascus, and someone that Jesus Christ himself chooses not someone that chooses themselves. Paul was very obviously not choosing to follow Christ. Jesus intervened in his life and called him to the apostleship. So under those definitions of an apostle, Paul definitely counts. Now, one thing that's tricky about this is um, the, well, the word apostle, we've mentioned this in previous episodes, just means one who was sent or a messenger. And so that word could be applied very loosely to a lot of different people. But it does seem like Paul has some special authority even within the early church. One of the problems we get into is when we try and put uh, modern day organization onto ancient day church. For example, um, the problem I've heard is people say, well, if Paul's an apostle, how is he one of the 12? Well, it may be that there wasn't a strict 12 apostles. Um, Paul could have been an additional apostle. He could have fulfilled some other role. Um, I've heard people try and pinpoint specific uh, individuals in the New Testament as, well, this person was like a bishop and this person was like this, which is helpful in understanding, but really they had a different organization. The gospel was the same and the doctrines and principles are the same, but the organization was fitted for whatever they needed. Similarly, in early church history, um, there are some things that are different than the way we currently uh, have the church organized. For example, a first presidency didn't exist until years into church history. Um, and so sometimes it's tricky when we look back at scriptures to try and say, well, Peter, James, and John were the first presidency. No, Peter, James, and John were apostles, and they seem to have a close, uh, maybe closer friendship or closer relationship with the Savior. But that doesn't mean they were a first presidency. So all of that is a long way of saying, was Paul an apostle? Yes. What kind of an apostle? I don't really know. Um, he seems to have been a, a very fulfilled the responsibility of apostle, which is one who was sent to bear testimony of the Savior to all the world. Um, and his epistles, 
make up quite a bit of our view of Christianity. Jesus Christ, of course, invented the religion, if you can say it that way. But Paul was one that spread it and made it this worldwide name. And so um, we're excited, really excited. As much as we've loved Acts, we're excited to dive into the epistles and learn what Paul says and what he teaches. So just a brief introduction. Um, the Pauline epistles, starting in Romans, um, are not organized chronologically. They're organized by length. So Romans is the longest epistle. 1 Corinthians is the next longest. 2 Corinthians, etc., etc., etc. These are not, by any stretch, all of the Pauline epistles. They're just the ones that were available when they combined the Bible and the ones that were palatable enough to put in the Bible. For example, in Corinthians, Paul mentions that he wrote other letters to the Corinthians before he wrote 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians is probably actually 2 Corinthians. We just don't have the other epistle that he wrote. Um... And there's some disputes on whether Paul's the author of different epistles or whether he used a scribe or whether someone else wrote for him or ghost wrote for him. And I tend to think Paul wrote them. And there's a couple of uh, respected Bible scholars that believe the same thing. Um, but it's helpful to understand that we're not reading these in chronological order. Romans is actually one of the later epistles that Paul wrote on one of his later missionary journeys. And he's writing it to a group of people that he has never visited. He's on his way to Rome. If you remember the last episode, we talked about Paul on the way to Rome. Well, he wrote this letter before he actually gets there. And so this letter has a little bit longer introduction of who Paul is. It also is a is a pretty, in fact, maybe the most systematic explanation of what Paul calls his gospel, which is really just his explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the book of Romans is a very linear, logical, um, line-by-line explanation of salvation in the kingdom. Other epistles will be more specific and more focused on a specific thing that Paul is aware of because it's a group of people that he knows and is familiar with. Romans, he maybe knows a couple of things that are involved in the Roman church, but having never been there, he doesn't have any kind of special relationship. So there's a brief overview of the book. The second question that we got that we wanted to answer was actually, we got a couple of these questions. Um, people asking about the topic of grace. And someone even messaged us um, and specifically asked that we do an episode in this episode and talk about grace. Yeah, so this message came um, in the beginning of this study. Paul mentions grace quite a bit in his epistles. I don't know that anyone fully understands what grace is, particularly members of the church. I think it would be cool if you guys gave a faithful look at what grace is. Hey, we think so too. So, Stu, <laughs> No, first. First, I want to say that we did, do have a couple episodes. I'm going to put these in our show notes as well, so you can link over to those. But these episodes, we did one in um, last year's Book of Mormon episode. So episode nine, you will find an episode called Saved by Grace. That was kind of our first um, episode on that. And we alluded to these epistles mm -hmm. from Paul that we would be getting into those later. So here we go getting into them. But we also talked a little bit about grace in... This year's episode from February 10th, John 2 through 4, called Born Again. So those are both two other references. If you're interested in going back and hearing what we have already said on grace, because this is going to take a little different spin as we study um, what Paul talked about. But that is kind of what we're going to be focusing yeah. on today. Um, and it's really cool because we get to hear what Paul teaches about these things. I think that might be one of the reasons that we can sometimes have that misunderstanding about grace is we forget all that the Bible says 
or we don't look as much at what um, maybe I'm talking for myself. No, maybe no, I, I haven't, good. but I have loved reading um, some of the things that Paul has said in these chapters about grace. And it's neat too, to go back to those episodes, you've got Nephi talking about grace, um, Isaiah, who Nephi's quoting, and then you've got John, the gospel writer, and now you've got Paul. So you have four different perspectives, all sharing a very similar message. And so uh, here's Paul at the very beginning of the book of Romans, the famous verse that was Old Scripture Mastery, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Um, one of the big wrestles that Paul will deal with in a lot of his epistles, but especially in Rome, is that there are Jewish Christians and then there are Gentile Christians. And there's a lot of contention between those two groups. One of the big points is that Jewish Christians think that Gentile Christians need to first become Jews, i.e. they need to obey the law of Moses and become circumcised before they can become Christians. Christianity, in other words, is, uh, or, or Judaism is a gateway to Christianity. Uh, one of Paul's big points to a lot of these is that is not a requirement. Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ is available to anyone, whether they are Jew or Greek or anybody else. But then verse 17, which I love, he says this, For therein is the righteousness of God, revealed from faith to faith, as it is written. And then this, which I think is his thesis statement for the book of Romans, the just shall live by faith. I think Paul's purpose in the book of Romans is he wants us, the Jews and the Greeks of his ancient readers, but, but speaking as an apostle to us, he wants us to live righteously and to experience the joy that righteous living brings. So he's going to do that by making three big points here in the first six chapters of Romans. Point number one, um, this seems like maybe a, an interesting point if you want to help people live righteously. Paul's going to make us feel really, really, really bad for all of our sins. So the first three chapters, Paul just lays it on. Uh, here's a sampling, verse 18 in chapter 1. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed unto them. Um, chapter 3, these are some really well-known ones, starting in verse 9. Uh, sorry, in verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And then Paul will requote that in verse 23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So Paul spends the first three chapters really just making us feel bad about our sins and our uh, sinfulness, I guess, as a way to set up this later call to righteousness. I think this might be the beginning point of where it can get a little confusing for what grace is or how we label grace as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was reading some um, something about grace from some other Christians, and you know they were labeling themselves as sinners, which is what we what some of the stuff that Zach was just reading from the scriptures, and 
we don't really, as Latter-day Saints, we don't really label ourselves as sinners, even though we, we agree and we believe that to be true. We get it, that yeah. we make mistakes and that all of us are, are mortal and make mistakes. But yeah, we don't use the title, I'm a sinner. Yeah, it's often. just not the title because we do have that Latter-day revelation and or that understanding of that we are divine. And I think we emphasize this more too, that we are divinely heirs the scriptures will learn we'll read that later in romans that we are heirs and we are sons and daughters of heavenly parents and that we are his children and which we focus on more so maybe that's i don't know i think that's more of the maybe the debate that at least in my mind as i was reading this made me think okay i can kind of get this why there's the confusion for us because i think it kind of goes back and forth a little bit on that yeah well, and Paul, you mentioned that. Paul will bring that up in the next episode. He'll talk about us being heirs of the celestial kingdom and co-heirs with Christ. And so there's that balance. We are, all of us, short of the glory of God. We are, all of us, under condemnation for our mistakes and for our sins. But we also have to remember that we are also, all of us, sons and daughters of a king and heirs of his kingdom, um, which means we were born into royalty. And that's healthy for us to understand both of those. And maybe a lot of the dissatisfaction we reach in our own lives is when we err too much on one side or the other, when we focus too much on our sinfulness and forget that we're sons and daughters of God, or that when we get too prideful about our divine inheritance and forget that we still have a need for growth and development. Which I know is what we talked a lot in some of those past episodes that we've talked about grace, is that that need to put the label as President Nelson teaches, with Jesus Christ on grace. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. It's the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I think when we connect those, that can really give it more of the power, which we we have discussed in past episodes. So that's Paul's first point, that all of us are sinners. Everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. Then in chapter 3, verse 20, he changes the tact a little bit, and he wants to talk now about righteousness But here's the tricky part. He doesn't want to talk about our righteousness. And this is one of Paul's major points in Romans. It's not about your righteousness. So I'm going to read uh, chapter 3, verses 20 through 26. And just listen. I'm going to cheat and emphasize the word I want to bring out. But just listen for what he says. Starting verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We get that. We just talked about that. But listen, verse 21. Now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Do you catch it? It's not about your righteousness. The message of Paul is not, hey, you're all sinners, so straighten up and fly right and quit sinning and and become more righteous. It's all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And 
thank God for his righteousness and his grace that he sent his son to earth to be that perfect righteous one so that his son could be the justifier. He could be the one that makes us righteous. Um, we were talking about this a lot before we recorded, but um, and I think we've mentioned this in previous episodes, but one of the things that I think a lot of Christians have a hard time with us on when they when they critique us for not being Christian is not that we always bring up, well, Christ is in the name of our church and you know we bear testimony of him all the time, which we do, but we have so many other things in our church that we bear testimony when we talk about tithing and temple worship and missionary work and scripture study, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if we're not careful, um, it almost sounds like to the untrained ear, Mormons believe that they need to do A, B, C, D through X, Y, Z in order to be saved. And that's just not true. According to Paul, according to all of the apostles, it is not our righteousness that saves us. Um, it's his. In fact, uh, this is President Uchtdorf. Salvation cannot be bought with the currency of obedience. It is purchased by the blood of the Son of God. Thinking that we can trade our good works for salvation is like buying a plane ticket and then supposing we own the airplane, or thinking that after paying rent for our home, we now hold the title to the entire planet Earth. Grace is a gift of God. And so that's Paul's second point. Uh, the first one is we're all, we've all sinned. The second one is we all need righteousness, but it's Jesus Christ's righteousness that saves us. Yeah, I love the way Paul teaches this a little bit further on in chapter 3, um, starting in verse 28. Well, 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded, but what kind of law? By one of works? No. On the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So again, that, that emphasis that it is by our faith, it is by the righteousness of Christ, and not our works. Although again, I think that's where the confusion can come. Um, but we're hoping to talk more about this in this next section that Zach already mentioned. Well, yeah. So that brings up then the confusing question is, okay, I've sinned and I get that I need Jesus Christ to save me. It's all dependent on him. But then the question that we always ask is, okay, so what of our obedience and our righteousness? Um, Sometimes I've heard people will say, well, Paul was the apostle of grace only. And they'll read someone like James, you know, for with, you know, faith without works is dead, being alone. And they'll say, see, Paul and James had different ideas on this. Very, very not true. Remember, Paul is speaking to a Jewish Gentile mixed audience, and he's trying to set them right that Jew or Gentiles do not need the works of the law of Moses in order to be saved by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ saves everybody because of his righteousness. So he's going to heavily emphasize grace in a lot of his epistles, but he doesn't eliminate the need for our righteousness. So this is chapter six. Um, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Translation, Okay, so we're saved by grace. Does that mean we keep sinning because we're saved by grace? And then he uses this phrase, which Paul uses a lot in the King James, it's God forbid. Uh, in other translations, it's absolutely not. Or I've, Yeah, absolutely not. I, I heard a, a BYU professor, I'm quoting a BYU professor that said, quote, that would be like us saying, heck no, except not saying heck, right? 
he's adamant whenever God, whenever uh, Paul says, God forbid, he really, he's pounding the pulpit saying, absolutely not. We are not allowed to go and sin because we're saved by grace. Verse two, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as are baptized unto Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death? Meaning when we are baptized, we put to death that old sinful person. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Um, I think our confusion about grace and works often just comes because we get them in the wrong order. It is not I need to work, and then grace kicks in and makes up for the difference. It's not that I need to pray really hard and repent, and then forgiveness comes in. The grace and the love and the power of God comes first and foremost always. Then, because we are saved by grace, because of Jesus Christ's righteousness, we have no more desire to do sin, as Mormon quotes that says in the Book of Mormon by the people of King Benjamin, and we walk in, as Paul says here, a newness of life. We're someone different. We're the kind of person now that lives a righteous life, not because we're trying to earn grace or earn salvation, but because it's already been given and we are so grateful for it that we would never think of sinning again. I like these little one-liners here that we read in chapter 6, verse 11. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in God Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 14 or in verse 14, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law but under grace. And I think that sums up that point really well of that kind of that order that we maybe need to need to think about it in and that's what what Paul is teaching here. Yeah, in fact, to finish this quote from President Uchtdorf, uh, he says grace is a gift of God. And our desire to be obedient to each of God's commandments is the reaching out of our mortal hand to receive this sacred gift from our Heavenly Father. Not to earn it, but to receive it because we're grateful for it. Um, this is back one chapter, but I love this. Um, at, at Paul, at Romans chapter 5, verse 15. Again, catch the emphasis. For not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many may be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is of one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one of condemnation. The free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, by the way, he's talking about Adam here, the one man that, that brought death is Adam. Much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to be con uh, unto condemnation, even so by the righteousness of the one free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. 
that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. I love those verses because I love that um, the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ is manifested in that his grace and his forgiveness and his power is a free gift that he gives without our need to purchase it because he's already paid the price. Um, our obedience to his commandments, our willingness to follow him in our, our adherence to the gospel of Jesus Christ is out of gratitude and a desire to receive every good gift that God has in store for us. I love him for that free gift. Um, and I've loved the, the manifestation of it in my life. Thank you for studying with us in these chapters, Romans 1 through 6. We're grateful for this mutually beneficial um, study group that we get to be a part of with you. And um, thank you for understanding the slip-ups. Last week I said something really weird at the end that got edited really funnier. But maybe no one even noticed. What do you think? But no, now they're going to go back and listen. So. Now they're going to go listen. I said something like, have an awesome something. So anyway, I'll say it better this week. We hope you have an awesome week. Thanks for being here.